We are in a series titled Peter the Unlikely Disciples, a disciple. And at the end of the gospel, we find Peter, uh, even though he denied Jesus Christ, he was forgiven and he was restored. And that's great news. Because he came into the Acts moment in Acts chapter 2 where he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he preached the gospel. And God, my friends, is in the restoration business. God is in the restoration business. When I was in fifth grade, uh, my parents bought an old house between Aurora and Rising Sun, Indiana. And this old house was out on the ridge. We were ridge runners. And it was on Holmes Hill Road. Now, when I first saw this house, I'm like, we're going to live in that? Are you kidding me? But we started working inside. The whole family worked on the place. My dad hired uh, other people to help work on the place, and the house was in serious disrepair. And if you would drive by, though, day by day, you knew that something was happening to that house. So we started from the inside, started working outside, and it was restored. And that's what God does with us. The old becomes new. The work takes place. And people begin to notice the difference in our lives. When God does restorative, there it is, work in our lives, he does it for several purposes. First, it's to reconcile God. To be reconciled to God. And that's so important because God wants relationship with us. He cares about us. Second, he restores you because he wants to use you. Our farm, that farm became a working farm. We had horses, we had, we had hogs, we had rabbits, we had crops. And that farm began, it was working. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, God wants to use you as a vital tool for kingdom ministry to help people experience God and have God reign and rule inside of them so that they can do restorative works, so the world can change and continue to change with the lives of those around you. For Peter, this growth began in the Gospels, but there is evidence of his transformation, his restoration, and it comes in the book of Acts. We'll examine two stories about the power of God working through Peter today. Before we jump into that, I want to do a quick survey, though. If you're watching online, you, you, you're, you're part of this survey, too. If you've lost someone you know and love in the last year, a friend or family member, please raise your hand. That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. Now, if you're dealing with sickness in your own life, maybe it's cancer or heart disease or depression, stomach issues, joint problems, chronic illness, raise your hand, too. That's a lot. That's a lot. Third, if you know someone you know and love with sickness right now, raise your hand. Last question, just everybody. If you just are glad to be here, raise your hand. <laughs> You know, we have it all in common. We've all been impacted by sickness, by, by death, by hurt, by pain, emotionally, physically, spiritually. That tells us that something is wrong in this world. And it's not for a lack of trying. Many of you I know work in the medical uh, profession. And you're fighting with this stuff all day. And day in and day out. And... We're so thankful for the work that you do to help heal people. 
God created this perfect world for us. But there's sickness and death was not the part of that original creation. It was not God's will. Yet we deal with them consistently throughout our lives. Jesus came to solve that problem, my friends. The prophets of old, especially in Isaiah 53.5 says, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. And he suffered so that we can be healed mind, body, and spirit. And this is one of the hallmarks of Jesus' restorative ministry, physical healing. We know at least 26 people in the gospels were healed by Jesus Christ. And there are many others. Why did Jesus heal? Healing is a physical sign that salvation is real, my friends. And at the deepest core, the word salvation means wholeness. It's hard to see if someone has been healed emotionally or spiritually, although we can't see signs of that. But physical healing is uh, so much harder to argue with. Jesus died and rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he left his disciples in charge of his ministry. And Peter was the rock, the leader of the church. But what about healing? Would, would Jesus' healing ministry continue? Or did it go up to heaven with Jesus? Acts is written by Luke. He was a physician, a medical doctor. And he gives us a couple of cases to show that Jesus is still, still healing, even though he's not walking physically on this earth. Today we're blessed to have a lot of our students uh, with us today. And I've asked uh, Pierce Durflinger to come up here and read our scripture today. Let's welcome Pierce. Pierce, take it away, brother. Acts 9, 32 through 43. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a name named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Around this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby in Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When, Pe when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Thanks, Pierce. Let's give him some more love. Give that man some more love. So, the first person, Aeneas, he's been bedridden for eight years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I know some of our friends who are watching online are contained inside their house. They're bedridden. Some of them are. And it's difficult. And... We want to tell them today they're still part of the church families. We still love them. 
And I pray that God will meet you in a powerful way this morning. Imagine being back a, a few thousand years ago where there was no TV, there was no internet. Reading was for the wealthy and there was no Medicare or Medicaid. Worse than that, you know, Aeneas was paralyzed. He couldn't move. And our hearts are moved with compassion for this man. But Peter said to him, it says in verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Who healed Aeneas? Was it Peter? Nope. Do you notice what Peter said? He said, Jesus Christ heals you. It's a free gift from the one who was beaten, who was killed for our sins so that we could be healed. Notice Peter doesn't say this. If you make a $20 contribution to my ministry, I'll send you a prayer cloth. <laughs> Hallelujah, right? Peter takes no credit because he knows if anyone is healed, it's Jesus' work. And Peter tells him to get up and to make his bed. Some of you parents just found a, a new Bible verse that you can put on your kid's wall. You're welcome for that. Making his bed was an act of faith to prove that he, that he was really healed. And Jesus does this miracle through Peter. But it's not the end of the miracles. Acts 35 says the whole population of, of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. These two small cities are in the same area where Tel Aviv Airport is located today in Israel. And the people all knew who Aeneas is. Some of them probably prayed for him or helped him with his family or food and other expenses. At the very least, they knew that his life stunk. And once they saw him up walking around, it was an indisputable sign that Jesus was alive, was well, working and active through Peter. 100% of the people turned to the Lord. Isn't that just incredible? And don't miss the second miracle of the story here. All of these people were healed for, for restoration with God. They were healed also from their sin problem. And that's what happens to us when we get saved. We're forgiven of our sins. And I would argue that the healing they all received was even bigger than the physical healing that Aeneas received. When Jesus forgave your sin, he healed your soul, my friends. And if someone asks you, asks you if God has healed you, the answer is always yes. Yes, God has healed me of my sin because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And in this story, one man's body was saved and many other souls were saved. Jesus is alive and working. And that faith of Aeneas, he experienced that. That salvation of his soul, his healing. Stories like this are joyous, but they also lead to some tough questions. First, does this mean that Christians don't need doctors or, or medicine because Jesus can heal? Absolutely not. We believe in God's supernatural healing. We also believe that God works through those doctors and those medicines. And God is the author of all truth. And he's blessed us with the gift of, of living in the most medically advanced time in the world. We have amazing resources that, are, that previous generations couldn't even dream of. And I believe that you should go to the doctor. I believe you should care for your body. You should go to the great physician also in prayer so your soul can be, can be healed first. And the Bible never says 
that receiving professional medical care means a lack of faith. Second, does God have to to heal me when I pray? No, if he did, we would would be God because we would be all-powerful living beings. God doesn't work for us even though he does care for us and often gives us what we ask in prayer. It's important to remember that Aeneas was bedridden for eight years. Do you think that he prayed for eight years to be healed? Do you think his family and friends prayed for eight years? Better question, do you think a day passed where his family wasn't praying? If it were me, honestly, I'd have probably stopped praying about year eight or probably way before that. I would have decided that God just wasn't going to do anything about it. So why did he have to wait eight years? Or worse than that, why are so many people not physically healed during their earthly life? That's a real difficult question because we desperately want our friends to be healed. We want to be healed. We care about others and we hate to see people suffering and hurting. But even Jesus didn't heal every person that was sick while he was here. And we can't make Jesus heal. Jesus is all-powerful, not us. And I don't say that to discourage you. Maybe the answer is to wait. Maybe the answer is to wait until heaven. It's hard to hear no when we want to be healed. And sometimes Christians get desperate in these situations and they fall for false teaching. They start sending money into false teachers who tell them that they really had faith big enough or they give big donations that God's going to heal them. The Bible never, never says that God always has to heal if you have faith. It simply never says that. The Bible does have many stories about godly people who weren't healed. So what do we do if we pray for a miracle and it doesn't happen? There's a daily devotion called uh, Wake Up Call, and it's it's seedbed.com Wake Up Call, and it's really, really, really powerful. And if you're looking for a daily devotion, this will give you some good spiritual depth, and I highly recommend it. The devotional uh, talked about what we do and don't do when we pray for a miracle and don't get it. First, it said, don't blame God. God's not the one to blame. Second, Don't blame the effectiveness of our prayers. If we pray harder or smarter or use the right words. Three, we don't blame the efficacy of of the faith of those for whom we are praying. So what do we do? We blame the battlefield, my friends. We blame the fog of war. We blame the chaotic, broken, fallen order of the corrupted creation that happened through sin. And we keep praying, pressing on with an ever-clarified understanding of our challenging reality on this side of the new creation. And here's the bottom line for those who persist in prayer. Three things. We will win many, many battles. But also we will lose some very difficult battles and suffer, suffer devastating losses at times. Number three, we will most often be left to wonder why some of our prayers are answered according to our expectations and others are not. This is so true. If you study the healing stories from the gospel and the book of Acts, you'll see that there's no set formula for healing. 
For some, they have great faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has said, says at times, your faith has made you well. For others, there's family and friends that bring them to Jesus. And it seems like their faith has made them well. Or others like Aeneas, nothing is said about Aeneas' faith. In fact, some of them aren't even expecting or hoping to be healed. They just received the gift. Look, God is all powerful and can heal in any way he wants to. And that's one of the advantages of being God. You, can, you have options. You can heal because of faith. You can heal just for the fun of it. You can heal through doctors and medicines. And praise God for all of the ways that he heals. Other Christians would say that, that healing never happens anymore. And that's not true. If that was a, they say it's as a temporary gift to the early church. But the Bible never says nor implies that. I've personally witnessed miraculous healings. I've heard testimonies of miraculous healings. I've experienced healing in my own body, especially in my soul. I've, I know credible people who have shared powerful testimonies of healing that has happened. And I believe in it. And I'm a pretty logical person. So when I have a headache, my first thought is that I need some sleep or I need some ibuprofen. Not a miracle, but I've seen God heal miraculous, miraculous ways, and I believe in it. So why does God work miracles? Here's one simple reason. Miracle, miracles are proof that Jesus is alive and working in lives. Miracles give glory to God, not in the person who receives it or prays for it. The, blo the glory belongs to God. Miracles, signs, and wonders draw us to the Lord to prove that he is real. And did you notice the salvation that happened to the people that saw Aeneas healed? Let's read one more story of a miracle that God did through Peter. There was a woman named Tabitha, uh, which is a beautiful Aramaic name. In Greek, the name is Dorcas. So if that's your name, you probably would go with the Aramaic name, wouldn't you? <laughs> she was respected. She was kind. She was generous. She made clothing. But tragically, she got sick and she died. And the church called Peter to come and care really for the funeral proceeding. Did you catch it? So it says Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, the upstairs room, the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him coats and other clothes Dorcas has made, had made for them. Let's call her Tabitha. <laughs> but Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and he prayed, and turning toward the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers and presented her to them alive. This is amazing. The pastor Peter just did the, the shortest funeral ever. And Tabitha is joining us for the dinner after. You see this miracle? We see that hope doesn't end when life ends. We tend to think of the short time horizon of our own lifespan. And I know that life uh, doesn't seem short to us, but in, but in comparison with all eternity, our, our life passes at a blink of an eye. God's got a lot more for you than what you expected here on earth, my friends. And when a person dies, we pray that Jesus will, will bring them back from the dead. The answer is, well... We don't really pray that, do we? 
It's just often later. We know that later is going to happen. So it says the news spread through the whole town and many believed in the Lord. You see the parallel with Aeneas, once again, is that Jesus uses Peter to do a miracle. And many people see it and they give their hearts to the Lord in large numbers. So here's the fact. Miracles are proof that Jesus is alive and working in our lives. One more thing. God brings Tabitha back from the dead, and, and Tabitha was revived back to life. She wasn't resurrected. She was resuscitated. She would someday die. Jesus gives us a hope of resurrection and eternal life because he's conquered sin, and all of this is a foreshadowing of the victory over sin and death. These are just two of the many miracles that God did through Peter. In fact, Peter was so renowned that the Bible says that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. That's incredible. God shows his power through Peter. Today is not only All Saints Day, we get to experience Holy Communion uh, together. Together where we find that that. This table's a miracle. It's a sign. It's a wonder. And God heals us of our sins. It's a dinner table of restoration. And we find that we are, are forgiven to walk in joyful obedience to experience that resurrection and have people experience that resurrection and restoration with those around us. And so we're reminded on the night that Jesus was gathered with his disciples in the upper room. He took that bread. He gave thanks, and he broke the bread, and he said to his disciples, Take and eat all of this, for this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, and he said to his disciples, Take and drink all of this, for this is my blood of a new and everlasting covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And so, God, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer our lives restored and free to walk in you in ministry to this world as people of resurrection and restoration. So we ask your Holy Spirit be poured out upon these gifts of bread and juice as we partake of them. And as we remember that you died for our sins and you were raised of a new life so that we can experience the resurrection together. And live in heaven with you, Lord. And dine at your incredible feast. The wedding supper of the Lamb. And God... We thank you for this time where our sins are forgiven and we're free to walk in you, alive and restored. And now as a confidence of children of God, we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.